The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SCP studio, it's MD-PhD student Maddie Walleen. Hi. We've got M2, Jacob Hansen. Hey. M2, Zay Edgren. Hello. We've got M1, Hind Al-Khulani. Hi. And we've got M3, AJ Chowdhury. Thank you for the consult. If you thought that was all shortcuts, well, that's where you'd be very wrong, because we are honored to be joined by none other than Will and Kristen Flannery, better known on social media and their new podcast, Knock Knock High, as Dr. and Lady Glaucom Flecken. Thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Oh, we're so excited. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So my co-hosts are medical students. They're very busy people. And so they only sign up each week as they have time. And I will say that um, this spring has been especially challenging to get people to sign up because they all went off to clinic. To uh, be on this podcast, you mean? I mean, to be on... The show in general, usually every yeah. week, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I see. So, so every week you you just like say, hey, who wants to come on Ex- to talk? And Ex- then, oh, okay. Exactly. Right. So yeah. how many did you get? So people actually requested to be on this one. You didn't have to yeah, this was like a, pull this was, any teeth. This was a special show recorded at a special time. So I sent out the invite. And I think there was a brownout in that period because they were stumbling over themselves to get to the online sign-up form. And then afterwards, there was a steady stream of complaints that they didn't get to sign up. And I find it suspicious that they're suddenly all available <laughs> for a recording. But let's be fair, Dave. Usually we record on Fridays during the day. It's not, it's a Monday in the evening. Okay. The Are time you, is fair. different. You're just trying to make me feel better. I'm, uh, yes, I am. I'm a little bit, <laughs> I'm a little bit jealous. We love you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you so much. So thank you for coming on the show. Tell us about the yeah. podcast, Knock Knock High. Yeah, it's it's in its infancy. So we just launched on January 10th. And so, yeah, a couple of months into it now. You know, it's it was a way for us to do more of a long form thing because, you know, people had only seen me for like, you know, 90 seconds at a time, basically. And so we wanted to... Do something a little bit longer, have more conversations, have more time to tell jokes, which is something very important to me. Yes. can believe that. And I wanted to do something with Kristen as well, because we both have a unique perspective on medicine and me from the physician side and the patient side and Kristen from the co-patient side, someone who's gone through medical training and education, but also, you know, medical issues she's gone she's been there kind of every step of the way and so you know we wanted to do something that showed off the human side of being in medicine and you know through a lot of storytelling and talking about you know so at times serious at times not so serious subjects in medicine so games yeah just kind of show that you know we have you know every episode we have a doctor on or someone in some healthcare professional and we basically just show that doctors are real people and not just people that, you know, memorize the coagulation cascade. And encourage just you know, the that out there for the that. M2s, That's right. the M1s. I don't even know what year it is you learned that, but sure. <laughs> I can get down with that that mission of showing the human side of yeah. Of uh, physicians and also med students. I think med students sort of get this reputation like they're geniuses or something like that. And I could tell you. That we they, do a lot of stupid shit. That they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where most of our guest stories come from. Oh, yeah. from the years that they were med students or residents, and you know, that's where all the good stuff happens. There's so many funny stories. Yeah. Absolutely. After a few years. Yeah, it's good stuff. 
So, but this is sort of in addition to all of the other stuff that you do. Yeah, I, it's it's. I don't know how we find the hours in the day, but I mean, that was know. my big question: was you know, did you not have enough to do? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah he sold ophthalmology to me as like, oh, you have great work-life balance, and he got this job where he only works four days a week, and then he's like, you know what, I'm going to do? I'm going to get a whole second career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of ruined it, and so basically. Because it's like, you know, I do work four days a week. I'm very fortunate, you know, to be in ophthalmology. So it does afford me the ability to do all this crazy stuff. But so I, when I, you know, I record skits usually in the evenings, weekends, and then we have this podcast. We basically takes up most of our Monday as well. And so I don't know, we're kind of coming to the end of like the amount of free time we have to actually like devote to stuff. So I don't know how many more projects I can take on, but. Four or five. You know, how <laughs> yeah. much of your work does Jonathan do for you? Oh, yes. Quite a bit, okay. actually. You're the social... You say you're the Jonathan? For, <laughs> but certainly for... Yeah, don't sell yourself short. You do. I mean, you are short, but you do. Chris actually does She's full-time. She's full-time glock and flecking at this point. So she's behind the scenes doing a whole bunch of stuff, which is great. But uh, my, I do have an actual Jonathan. It's It changes because there's a lot of turnover in Jonathan world. And were any of you prior scribes before you went to med school? I know that's a pretty common thing for people to do work as a scribe before you go into med school. And that's... So basically what happens is a lot of turnover. I've had like five or six different scribes. The one I have right now, she's fantastic. And I do feel bad though, for people who scribe who are actually named Jonathan, <laughs> which I have heard from people in that unfortunate situation because You've ruined they're kind of, I've ruined yeah, it for them. They're kind of defined by my like, character. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be all right. They will be. They say they like it, but I don't know if I believe it. So. So you will you you make fun of the various specialties and the students and the I do from admins. Yes. Uh, it seems like you avoid poking fun at patients, despite your own adventures as a patient. And you know, yes. for, for anybody not listening, or for anybody not listening, for anybody listening who does not know, you're a two-time cancer survivor. You're a survivor of a cardiac arrest. Did you make a conscious decision not to poke fun at, at patients as much? Yeah, I, uh, early on, uh, even before I had all those health issues, you know, just, you know, I started doing social media comedy as a resident and I had seen people get themselves into trouble talking about patients. Yep. And I realized that early on that, that I really need to just avoid that pitfall just completely because the last thing that any of us should do on social media, regardless of what you're on social media to do, telling jokes or educating or whatever, the last thing that we need to do is undermine the patient-physician relationship. And especially now in the era of misinformation and all kinds of scary things out there. And so in making fun of patients is the easiest way to undermine that that trust that we want the general public to have in us. And so uh, fortunately though, with medicine, there's so many things to make fun of. And I don't even have to go in that direction at all because by focusing it on kind of the inside baseball of medicine, you know, the interactions between different specialties or some of the strange situations that med students or physicians or, or trainees or attendings find themselves in and focusing my humor on those interactions, those relationships, you know, I avoid, you know, the having patients feel slighted, having patients feel like sure. um, their doctors are making fun of them behind their back. Sure. And, and so I always, when I'm talking about appropriate use of social media as a medical professional, that's like the biggest takeaway is just don't incorporate patients into any of that content. And if you do, just make sure you're being very respectful and not, you know, not making fun of them or ridiculing them in any way. And you still see people make that mistake. And I was like, I just shake my head like, man, come on. Let's yeah, not comedy of, you know, you, it's not funny if you punch down, it's funny if you punch up and patients are in a vulnerable position and so that kind of creates that dynamic between a patient and a physician, right? If the patient, if the physician is making fun of patients, that's punching down. Yeah. And that's just bullying. It's not funny anymore. Yeah. That's the reason why, you know, I'm sure all of you guys probably, you probably put on skits at some point. 
in your med school, you know, maybe graduation, you guys do skits or I don't know, a lot of, you know, call it frolics here. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's, yeah. and it's a lot of fun because you're making fun of all the admin and the attendings and everything. And, but if it was the other way around and your attendings were making fun of you guys and skits, it would be horrifying. So it, that's the whole punching up versus down thing. It's still horrifying. By the way. <laughs> yeah, but you can take it. I remember one year. You I was, deserve it. I know. I remember one year I was sitting at home. I knew frolics was going on and somebody texted me that they just mentioned the the short coat podcast and my stomach fell right into my <laughs> I was like oh god what are they saying and, you know, turned, out, turned out to be fine I'm a born catastrophizer but it was alright so going off of punching down when you're portraying med students or residents or just trainees in general do you ever feel like you have a fine line that you're trying to stay on the I guess the not actually punching down side of when yeah. you're making these portrayals yeah, because that's a good question because, yes, I'm not addressing patients, but I'm, there's still this hierarchy in medicine, right? And so there's a power dynamic between med students and attendings. And so whenever I do have a skit where there are those different levels represented, so let's say a med student or Bill, the resident, interacting with the neurologist. In the skit, I will have, obviously, the attending sometimes throw insults at the resident, but the it's very clear in that vignette that it's the attending who's in the wrong, who's being overly mean or aggressive, or and so and that's where the joke lies. So is there's always a message to it that leaves the audience more sympathizing with that l person lower on the power dynamic. And so, and because that's my goal with all of these things is I want whoever I'm making fun of in a video, I want them to come away not feeling taken advantage of, but feeling understood. Like, yes, that is exactly what that's like. I, yes, whenever I mean, as a med student, I walk and I immediately find the space behind the trash cans to stand. Yeah, yep. absolutely. That's me. So I, is that, and so that's the feedback I get a lot like of, oh man, how'd you know that? Like you totally get it. And it's not people being, people just being angry that I'm making fun of them. And also what helps is that I, I address everybody pretty equally. So I don't, I try not to pick on one specialty in particular. I'm pretty hard on surgery, but they have the egos to withstand yeah, just, a high <laughs> level of ridicule. So, yeah. yeah. If I can ask, how does, do a lot of your patients know about your social media presence? And if so, does that impact your relationship with them at all? They, some of them do. Now, most of my patients are in their 70s and up. And okay. so not exactly the TikTok generation, <laughs> but I do have some patients that come in Having seen the, it happens several times a week at this point that they've seen the videos and they always, they, a lot of times they'll mention it and it's always a wonderful conversation. I love, you know, talking about it. Nobody's ever like upset with me. I assume it's just selection bias. Like I, they wouldn't make an appointment with me if they did not like my social media presence, but always accelerates the relationship I have with them. And so in general, they're all very supportive of it and they enjoy talking about their favorite videos or their favorite characters with me. And so, yeah, I love it. I love when people bring it up. It's a lot of fun. It was very fun today, Dr. Glockenfleck, and I actually went into the neurology His real office. name is Flannery. In, in my mind. That's okay. You can still... call me whatever you want. Dr. <laughs> well, whatever. But that whole, like, even though, like, you might be poking fun of certain specialties, they can take it pretty well. I went into the neuro workroom today, and they were just like, did you see our candle that we have going? And I'm like what's that and lo and behold there was a jonathan candle just kind of over the med student workspace jonathan was just kind of looking down over us but i thought it was fun the fellows and the attendings were the ones that pointed it out it's just like that's great uh, were you excited about the you know having a bunch of jonathan candles mailed to us now we have them around the house <laughs> What do you think about it's that? totally my decor style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a, a that, good. that was a fun idea from because we've been wanting to do merchandise for quite a while because people keep asking for Jonathan merch <laughs> and stuff. So, and I had a Twitter shout out to Maureen Johnson, who's an author of young adult fiction. 
And we follow each other on Twitter. And she just out of the blue was like, hey, you should totally do a Jonathan prayer candle. And I was like, oh, I love that idea. <laughs> and we just went with it. it. You know, she hooked me up with that company that does a lot of kind of quirky, strange they merchandise. This is dog. Yeah, you know, the, this is mm. fine. The dog drinking the coffee, fire surrounding him. Yeah, so that's, they did that. Oh, so, okay. so I was like, okay, I think this is going to be a good fit. And they came out with the candle and it's, and then we also got a bobblehead in the works too. So, you know, more, more Jonathan merch is coming, which is something I never thought I'd say. But <laughs> That's great. I'll keep my eyes peeled. I'm glad, crew for the I'm glad the neurologists. <laughs> I'm glad the neuro. I'm glad the neurologists don't hate me. So I, you know, that's yeah. I appreciate that they're fans. Yeah, my attending <laughs> last week, she was poking fun of some of her other co- colleagues and just like she called one a six foot walking white matter lesion and <laughs> brought, wow. brought tears to my eyes in a good way. That was very. So they definitely know the content just as well as us. So. Oh, that's good. That's one of my personal favorite <laughs> lines in my content. Is I was very proud of that when I came up with the six foot tall white matter lesion pretty good so he's looking at me because i'm the harshest critic she is yeah why is it always our wives that are the harshest critics because i've heard all the jokes for like (laughs) 16 years so at this point i could probably write them myself she is he knows if he can make me laugh then that's going to be a really good one yeah i do like to run some things sometimes i'm not quite sure how a skit's going to land or you know if i'm gonna have to you know find that right balance right between like pissing people off from, and making them laugh. And so if I'm not sure how th- something comes across, I'll show it to Kristen and get her take. And yeah, she's my barometer for humor. Do you feel what? like your style has changed then over the years a lot? That being said? Yeah, it has changed. I, you know, I don't know if my style has changed. But the, pretty uh, like biting. Yeah, a little snarky, very dry sense of humor. You know, I I grew up on Seinfeld and Letterman. And so, like, I have, like, I'd say I'm probably more Letterman than Seinfeld. And and so I just kind of, that helped mold my sense of humor. You might be more of a Larry David. You're pretty grouchy. In in real life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I love you, too. That's nice. And But, yeah, my the content has changed a little bit. And, I, you know, I've transitioned a little bit to doing more advocacy. And I'm sure you've all noticed that, you know, talking more about health insurance and academic publishing or, you know, whenever there's an injustice in medicine, I try to. I wasn't aware that there were any (laughs) things in medicine. Yeah, it's, you know. Yeah, it's all hunky-dory. Everybody's happy and there's no problems. Yes, no. It's a, I really enjoy doing that, especially, you know, making fun of United Healthcare, which is like the granddaddy of them all. Yeah. Does the... You're um, never punching down then. (laughs) No, see, that's the thing. Like, I can go, I try to go as hard as humanly possible on the insurance companies and even naming them. You know, I I often name them. And people are always asking me, you know, are you worried that they're going to come after you or something? And I think because it's a, it's, it's a comedy video. So it's satire. I have a little bit of legal protection whenever I actually do name them and call them evil and point out all these terrible things that they're doing. Maybe that's, maybe they just don't care. They're like, you know, we're, yeah. We're too big. It doesn't matter. You can say whatever you want. Sitting on their fat piles of money going. Exactly. Uh, curse you. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I everybody should be making fun of them mercilessly. Do you feel like having the audience has just been a convenient avenue to do this or has it made you more passionate about it and do more research on it? Yeah, it's certainly I get a lot of ideas from the audience actually. And so, you know, whenever I post a video about United Healthcare you know, I'll get, especially the healthcare related ones, I get thousands of comments across all social media platforms and I kind of peruse through them. And sometimes I'll like get a good idea about, you know, a t- terrible thing that United or Aetna or Cigna did. I'd be like, oh, I could turn that into a video. And so I do like getting the feedback because it does help, you know, shape my content a little bit. And then with the kind of more interpersonal medical specialty humor. I got to do a lot more research than I used to do just because I'm an ophthalmologist. I don't know. I don't have the slightest idea what's going on in 
hematology. <laughs> you <know>? Me neither. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's what we have in common, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, I'm like pulling up 10-year-old Reddit threads, like, uh, you know, searching, you know, pharmacist pet peeves. <laughs> and like that's uh, seriously that's like that's kind of how i do it and it'd be a people love complaining on social media about their jobs so it's you know short coats we love to hear from you no matter what it's about so call us at 347 short ct with questions shower thoughts complaints about your situation whatever you like we'll talk about it on the show I was going to ask you in particular, Kristen, I read on y'all's website that your organization, Glockenflecken LLC, advocates for people who've experienced medical trauma and critical illness, and you're focused on things like CPR and automatic defibrillator use, which makes sense given your uh, lovely experience with, with, uh-huh. Will's, with Will's cardiac arrest, as well as working with young people who are affected by cancer and cardiac arrest. So, yeah. so tell me a little bit about that, that work. Yeah, you know, Will kind of focuses on the physician side and kind of humanizing doctors. But then through my work, we also focus on humanizing the healthcare system, you know, making it more human than it is. And that comes directly because of our experiences within it as patients. And for me as a co-patient and co-survivor of some of these things, and I really try to get healthcare workers and trainees to understand that these medical events, you know, the healthcare system is so focused on treating disease, but these are people. And these diseases happen to more than just the patient in the bed. It happens to the whole family, you know, whoever is really closely connected to that person is happening to them as well. And sometimes those people serve as caregivers of the patient when they're home. So sometimes they are also, you know, therapeutic allies, part of the healthcare team, but they're not always seen or treated that way, right? Like, so sometimes you have a wealth of information just sitting right next to the patient, but, you know, that person gets totally ignored. But beyond their, like, utility for the healthcare system, they're also somebody who should be seen by the healthcare system, you know, at least in terms of, like, understanding what it is they're going through and helping them, you know, answer their questions, just be a a regular human to another human and, you know, show them some compassion or empathy, help them get connected with whatever part of the healthcare system might be able to help them, you know, whether that's a social worker, a chaplain, a psychologist, whatever. A lot of the time, most of the time, the people connected to the patient are just completely overlooked and there's nothing that is, you know, structurally in place within the healthcare system to even recognize, let alone help those people. So, so that's what a lot of that work is about is just advocating for co-survivors. And then of course, as you mentioned, the CPR and AED use, trying to educate more people about that and and spread awareness for those issues as well. So it sounds like that was something that was particularly missing from your experience, Kristen. It was. And, you know, with both cancers, that was the case. And particularly with the cardiac arrest, that was the case. And, you know, I think that was exacerbated by it being during the peak of COVID and I couldn't oh, yeah. be with him in the hospital. And yeah, it's just all sorts of horror stories about what I experienced during his cardiac arrest and his care afterward. But that said, we just happen to have a platform and, you know, some of our story is dramatic and lessons are in the extremes sometimes, but we are definitely not unique in dealing with these issues, especially now after the pandemic, there's going to be so many people who have been traumatized as not just COVID patients, but co-patients or bereaved survivors or co-survivors because we could not be there during these horrible moments. And it just goes against all of human nature, right? To have your loved one in this situation and not be able to be there to bear witness or to help. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, looking back on it, it's really, I think we did a lot of damage in preventing people from being able to be with their loved ones in the hospital. And, Mm -hmm. you know, is it really, everybody's just flying by the seat of their pants, right? Mm -hmm. It was just like, just trying to like figure out how to get through that especially early on in the pandemic. And so you can understand those decisions that were made, but a lot of times, you know, decisions 
big decisions, you know, have lasting consequences. And, you know, I think that's just one that we're going to look back on and be like, man, that, that caused a lot of psychological trauma. Yeah. And I think that's part of my work in trying to raise awareness about co-survivors is that, you know, you can treat us or you can, you know, help us now at the time of the event. And you can probably, you know, mitigate a lot of the damage that might happen, or you can just pay attention to the patient and overlook or ignore the people that are also affected by whatever it is the patient has. And then you're creating, you know, a bigger effect that's going to have downstream effects on your system anyway. I mean, so you can help us now or you can help us later when it's a bigger problem. So I have a question about the term co-patient. Is this like the patient's immediate family that goes to the clinic with them? Or does this also include like other caretakers, close friends, community members that may also be may also be a support system for a patient going through any kind of severe long term illness or critical illness? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that the term is still new. And so it kind of means different things to different people right now. For me, it means anybody that is who anyone whose lives are affected in, you know, pretty much just as deep of a way as the patients, right? Anybody whose life is like inextricably connected to that patient such that their disease, the patient's disease or, you know, situation really impacts their own situation in much the same way as it does the patient, you know, except for the physical part of it being, you know, like I didn't have cancer in my body, my heart didn't stop beating, but cancer very much happened to me too. And the cardiac arrest very much happened to me too. If any of you have partners or, you know, are living with any family members, med school is happening to them too, right? In a very different way than it's happening to you, but nonetheless, it is still happening to them in a very profound way. It affects their life, right? I was along for every single year of training and, you know, I had to move when he had to move. I didn't have any choice over where we went because it depended on his match. You know, we had to plan our family around, you know, all of these right. things. Step one studying. <laughs> exactly. So so it's like that, right? Like it, they're not the ones going through med school, but it's definitely affecting them too. Well, it's the same with patients. But I do think there's kind of like concentric circles, right? And I think there's a model out there. I should find out the name of it. But there's like concentric circles, right? Of the people that are closest to the patient and then people that you're... I think alluding to of like, they may be involved in the patient's care, but they're maybe not like their direct partner or family member or something. And so the further out you get from the patient, the less it affects that person. But, you know, conversely, the closer in you get, the more it affects them. And it can be very profound. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I was trying to clarify. I guess like my training partner back in college got osteomyelitis in his arm and I no longer had a training partner after that, and that was really upsetting yeah. to me. Yeah. You're a wise ass. Did you actually ever get into trouble for your sense of humor during school? Or- no, school? not during school. Uh, not really during any kind of any level of training. I, you know, when I first started doing comedy on social media was in my second year of residency. And in med school, I was writing for Gomer blog, which is, and now, I mean, the website's still there, but I don't think anybody writes any articles anymore for it, but I was also anonymous and I was anonymous, you know, in med school and I was writing Gomer blog articles as Dr. Glockenfleck. And that was when I first came up with that name. And then into, into residency, I was still tweeting anonymously because I was uh, afraid of like backlash. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, you know, I think even you know, sometimes when I think about this show and how we're all kind of wise asses on the show yeah. when we can be. But every once in a while, I, you know, like part of my job on the show is to edit out the things that can get people into trouble. <laughs> yeah. It's a very important job. And yes. I hope I'm I, I, so far so good. But yeah, it kind of terrifies have, me a little bit. I've certainly generated controversy with the things that I've talked about and the jokes that I've told. It never escalated to the point where I was like feared for my ability to like, you know, finish residency. It's, it was more like I didn't word a joke quite right. And so a group of oncologists got mad at me or, you know, stuff like that. You can't 
tell jokes and talk about very personal things and without ruffling some feathers. And I think that's okay to do as long as you're respectful to people. Like, yeah, I'll make fun of cardiologists and nephrologists, but I don't ridicule like their purpose Mm -hmm. as physicians and like what they're trying to accomplish in life. And so that that goes back to like making people, you know, still feel heard and not taken advantage of. And so I've had missteps along the way. I've deleted tweets. I've deleted whole videos before because the point I was trying to make did not come across the way I wanted to make it or it got misinterpreted. And it wasn't just one person misinterpreting it. It was like 10, 20, 30 people misinterpreting it. And it's, and so it's, you got to also learn to like ignore the one or two people. Yeah. But if it's like a whole bunch of people that are starting to like gain, it's like the criticism is gaining steam. Yeah, that's then, data. Then that you're point. probably mm-hmm. in the wrong, to be honest. I, and so, and I'm totally fine. I'll accept my mistakes. Like I'm not going to be perfect. Just like anything in life, this whole medical comedy thing, it's a been a learning experience. I've figured out what topics I can go after and what topics I should stay away from. And, and that's it's been through trial and error. And yeah, I've pissed off a lot of people, but I've the further I get into this, the fewer people I'm pissing off. I've just gotten better at it. And so it, that and that helps. Do you think there's like one single like controversial tweet or controversial video that you would be willing to like share how you like realized it got misinterpreted or what you learned from it that might be a controversial question so like i get it if not, but. no it's a good question i in the past i remember once i tweeted something this is probably when i was still anonymous i was probably still a resident i tweeted something about you know patients who are non-compliant with medications like made a joke about it. I heard about it. I heard all the reasons I shouldn't have posted it from people because people on social media, they'll let you know, you'll get the <laughs> comments. And so I, I got all the comments and I listened to that feedback and I was like, okay, this is clearly, this is not an appropriate thing for me to talk about. And so, and you learn from it, right? So that was one example pretty early on. And I've made a video, like I tried to make a video a while back, kind of supporting deep students and doctors because of, you know, this long-standing stigma against DOs and that DOs are not as good as MDs, which is clearly not the case. And so I was trying to, I made a video supporting that we're all physicians and we can all do fantastic work in medicine, but some of the jokes, the things I was saying were being misinterpreted and I ended up deleting the video, even though most people understood what I was saying. Intent is a really, you know, you can have the best intent, but if it lands wrong to certain people, like that's always also important. So I don't think that I made it, I was wrong in making the video. It was more how it landed for people. And I didn't want a very important message like that to be misinterpreted. And so I ended up just deleting it and I'll probably address it you know, make another one sometime down the road. But that was an example where, you know, it was a minor controversy and one that I listened to the feedback and I, you know, acted on it. And I think people still appreciate that if you can acknowledge your mistakes on social media. And I acknowledged it publicly too. I said, this is why I'm deleting this video. And that was really the end of it. So, yeah, those are a couple of examples. So yeah, I try. Thank you for sharing. It's, but it always sucks. Like, yeah. like you never it really like to hear from people that like you hurt their feelings or like you said something that that offended them and or they're more mean about it and start you know you know saying nasty things about you like oh it sucks to hear that kind of stuff but sometimes it's warranted sometimes it's not you just have to try to wade through that and figure it out i have a question about like why you decided to because you said you used to post things anonymously, and then now, obviously, we all know who you are. What, yeah. what made what? you change your mind? Yeah, it, well, I, I graduated residency. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I suddenly I felt secure in my position as a private practice ophthalmologist and as an eventual owner in my practice. I felt comfortable showing my face and having that be associated with my actual name even though I still go by Dr. Glockenfleck and everywhere because that's much, that's more famous than 
Dr. F- like no one knows my actual name at this point. I think you also came into your own though with your comedy. Like you had been yeah. through most of the mistakes. I mean, you've still had, yeah. had a few, but yeah, the bulk true. of the learning curve had already happened. And so you, all, I think you also felt more comfortable in what you were doing. Yeah, I knew by that point pretty well how to not get myself into trouble. And so it was that compared to the fact that I was no longer under the thumb of a department. You know, I was my own boss. And so I just felt like I had more freedom. Now, looking back, I think the concerns I had were mostly unfounded. Yeah, I said a few things that I really shouldn't have said, and I would never say, but I think that we get a little bit overly concerned about that. Um, And part of it's because the for a long time there's this idea that you know it's not professional for doctors to talk about these things yeah and to talk about their like emotions and the happy or sad or terrible things that happen to them on a day-to-day basis like you can't show that side of yourself because it's not professional and i think that's why a lot of us are anonymous because we're afraid of the backlash from doing those types of things. And that's not a wrong thing to like, you can post about this stuff. We should be posting about this stuff because it humanizes doctors. And so that's what I've, I have learned and try to encourage people. Like you can, you don't have to be anonymous as long as you take care to avoid those certain pitfalls, like making fun of patients or HIPAA violations or stuff like that. But we need the public to see that side of doctors and doctors in training. By not humanizing doctors, the default there is, and this is what happens, you all get dehumanized, right? You get emotions trained out of you. You get, you know, all these things that are just a natural part of being human and are not good or bad. They're just how we are. You're told to shut those things down. Well, that's impossible. That's not going to help anything. And, you know, now we have big problems with burnout and Mm -hmm. physician suicide and like serious things. We need it more than ever now. Doctors are humans, you know, and And if you don't talk about it, treated as such, yeah, then nothing changes. Like if you don't talk about the things that bother you about medicine, then it's just going to stay that way. Right. Exactly. So remember that friends, when you reach the point of you're about to apply for your residency programs, and you all en masse change your goddamn social media profile names <laughs> so that I don't know who the hell you are anymore. <laughs> you see, it, it, it is changing, though, because I think, especially as the generation that grew up on social media gets to be in leadership positions, it's not going to be as scary that you're going to lose your job by doing... by being yourself on social media. So I think it's a thing that's going to, that's going to change and it already is changing because you see more and more med students, pre-meds, residents, you know, having big social media presence. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be easier. By fear, right? If the people in leadership positions don't quite understand all the ins and outs of social media, then they're just going to sort of say, no, just don't do any of it, right? Because we don't know where all the landmines are to step. And so let's just not walk in that field. So I'm trying to try to be a, a nice way of saying the old people don't get social media. I'm trying. Sorry, that. Dave. I'm trying. <laughs> Our episode today is sponsored by Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Panacea Financial is designed for medical students and residents as it was founded by two doctors that were financially frustrated during their training. Thousands of doctors have used their PRN personal loan to avoid credit cards and have a better way to cover expenses for residency relocation or other life expenses. Panacea's PRN personal loan does not require a cosigner, has no minimum credit score requirement, and has interest rates starting at half of a typical credit card. They also offer a period of no or reduced payments on their PRN personal loan. So go to panaceafinancial.com slash matchday to learn more about Panacea and get other helpful information on matchday, residency, transition, and enter their $500 giveaway to those starting residency this year. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Thanks, Panacea Financial, for the support. Really appreciate it. Let's get back to the podcast. So we're in post-match, so I hope all the fourth years have already signed up for their ophthalmology rotation. (laughs) Very important. See, ophthalmology, dermatology, research elective. That's, That's... 
round yeah. out your year. Yep. I've gotten the advice That's... from several of my classmates because I'm an MSTP, and they're like, "When you go back, go back on ophthalmology." I was like, "Okay, yeah, oh, easy, yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah." <laughs> Sit down in the operating room, you know, yeah, a nice long lunch break that you don't come back from. That's, the next day. That's great. Yeah, it was great. I just got done with my ophthalmology rotation and all the M threes getting done with step studying. First one back there, just like ah. Oh. It's good to be back. <laughs> just for those reasons that you just That's mentioned. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Dang, I missed out. I did opto during rotations. I, I, I had to do too. a slit lamp exam. <laughs> that was terrifying. So, yeah. So, it's a little bit different in Iowa because you have like a world-class yeah. ophthalmology residency program there. So, they actually, and having... You know, obviously that's, I went to residency at Iowa, so we had a lot of med students come through and it's a little bit more formal as far as training and lectures and things. So I guess I should have, I should realize that you're actually, if you do an ophthalmology rotation, you're probably going to have to work <laughs> at <laughs> Iowa, at least. Probably still a Where I went, I was at Dartmouth. We did not have a residency program at the time. So it was just in ophthalmology. Yeah. And so it was very much like a, what do you want to do? Yeah. It was uh, the Wild West. Yeah. <laughs> neuro op, though. And I was told, hey, go do the slit lamp exam. And I didn't even know how to move the thing into place. Do you know the tip I always give people? What's if that? you don't know how to what you're doing when you sit down at the slit lamp, the first thing you say is, who messed with this thing? <laughs> <laughs> While you're trying to like figure out what all the knobs and buttons do. It'll buy you about like 45 seconds. <laughs> before the patient realizes you have no idea what you're doing. I love it that in the slit lamps in the optoplastics clinic is they don't move like in the other yeah. clinics. Yeah. And so, like you said, world-class facility, everyone here is like, no, you know, it's somebody. Let me grab a piece of wood and jimmy it under, oh, I know. <laughs> under the slit lamp while we take a look at your eye. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the slit lamp wood blocks. That's right cornerstone of iowa education i love it they're patented yeah the opto library is really cool too that's where i spent my long lunches was in the opto library yeah it's a good it's a good place to study there's some just just get away and i that's also a good place to do well i was gonna yeah i was gonna ask you like when you were a resident here maybe you should share it was it were there other places that you hid when you didn't want to be <laughs> yeah, what are your hiding spots? Uh, where are all your hiding spots yeah you know as a resident you know i didn't unfortunately get to hide very often it was mostly hiding from the emergency department <laughs> that was where i did and you know we took home calls so it was very easy to to get out of there it was the you know when you're a resident especially at a place like iowa's level one trauma center like well you get a, like a it's very busy. So I still have nightmares of seeing like eye problem on the ED board like six times, like knowing like there's just this onslaught of consults I'm going to be, I'm going to be given. But boy, what an awesome learning experience though. I mean, just the sheer like area, the like five or six states that all like come to Iowa. It's just, and you can't beat it for like a learning environment for really probably any specialty. So actually, we did, a, a we did a podcast episode recently with Dr. Oding. So yeah, heard that shout one out Tom Oding. He's a former residency program director. Now he's like the assistant or something. He's te- coaching up the next person, but doing a hundred cataract surgeries a day, just living his best yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it is. You know, we love our short seven minute surgeries. Can, I don't know if you talked about this before, but how did you come up with your name? Oh, it's actually glockenflecken is actually a thing in ophthalmology. Oh, it's like oh, a shoot. it's like a real word. So it's uh, I thought to myself, okay, I know I want to have like a pseudonym. I realized I said it was going to be a comedy persona, a comedy account. I was like, okay, well, what's I'm an op, I'm an ophthalmology resident. That's all I can think about these days is ophthalmology. What's the most ridiculous word in ophthalmology? Well, fortunately, in in my field, there's it's full of ridiculous words. So I had a lot to choose from. And I went with glockenflecken, which is a, a physical exam finding you see in someone who's had an episode of angle closure glaucoma, where you get really high pressure inside the eye. It causes you to have these little grayish white flecks on the surface of the lens inside the eye that are called glockenflecken. 
hilarious. That's so amazing. Funny, right? <laughs> That's amazing. It's great. Yeah. And so it was either that or Dr. Pseudophagodenesis. Really, that was a bit oh, of a man. mouthful. So I went with the Glock and Flecken. Yeah. That's amazing. I commend you for looking at that and being like, that's going to be what people call me now for the next well, you 20 years. I, I had no yeah. idea that it would turn into this. <laughs> I mean, my God, I probably should have chosen an easier name, but you know, it is what it is now. Now I am more famous than the actual like Glockenfleck. Like if you <laughs> I, 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 misspelled I, it. And so now the misspelling is more widely known than the correct. Well, I did that purposely. To be <laughs> yeah, kind of, but I'm just yeah. it's not even the correct. That's true. Have, just, like, so if you Google Glockenfleck and like you get me, you yeah. get like the actual like thing that you need to know about <laughs> in the eyeball. So that's kind of fun. M- Mariam, how, any anybody have any questions? All right. Bring somebody on then. Go ahead, Faith. <laughs> Hi, I had a question about what's it like reflecting on the impact you've had on current medical students. Like for an example, our class group chat is named after you. It's the Block Effect and <laughs> Learning Community. Um, so what does it feel like to reflect on kind of the impact you're having on the future of medicine? Oh, that's awesome. Shout out to the Glock and Fleck and Learning Community. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of learning going on. You know, you know, I don't know what kind of, you tell me like what kind of an effect am I having? Are people choosing? I would like to think that the slight bump in applications to ophthalmology is because <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm going to take credit for it. <laughs> I think, it, I mean, you can, I'll give you a minute to think because it seems like you need it, but I think it's, it's bizarre because this is a person who I had to teach that no, you should wash your sheets sometimes. Uh, like, like, like basic. I was in rough shaping as a freshman in college. So, you know, like she helps me. Just this futon, <laughs> disgusting dorm room life. Now that's, you know, that, hey, hey, you married me. That's yeah, exactly. You married that thing. Okay. So. <laughs> the futon. Look, I knew what I was getting, but you fooled all of these people. Right? <laughs> we were all, I, weren't we all garbage when we were like fresh? We were all garbage people. Absolutely. I mean, At some point in our life, everyone had a garbage person stage. So, you know, I, I think, so honestly, I, I don't know. I'd love to hear from you guys. Like, what is that effect? Is it, is it, yeah, were you just sitting in this room? Yeah, are you, is it, hopefully I'm not like seriously influencing specialty choice with these <laughs> skits because like it's all, you know, embellishment and I have my own biases for or against like cardiology. But, and so, but again, if my impact is that it just helps like you guys get through med school, like just from a wellness standpoint, like that's great. I love that. I love doing that. And so I don't know. You want you guys want to chime in? What's my impact? I feel like it's that. And I've been thinking about it the whole time that we've been doing the podcast because like we talk about a lot on the podcast that it's kind of a way that we can bring humanities into medicine and like talk about why do we do it and what's good about it and also what's bad about it. And I feel like what you do in comedy, what you guys do is art and kind of a way to bring that kind of stuff out and to talk about it. And so I think that's empowering to see somebody who's very successful at doing that and being relatable about it and taking time to like do stuff outside of medicine, but still talking about medicine in a relevant way. So I think that we talk about that a lot on the Short Coat podcast. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I think addressing some of these more serious topics through a lens of humor. It's just the reason that it's grown, like my platform has grown is just because by addressing it through comedy, more people are going to like pay attention. You right. Know? And it's more approachable. It's more approachable. It's more interesting versus me just talking about prior authorizations into a camera. You know, it's, <laughs> that's it's, not it's, as it's also less anybody. It also probably takes the curse off of some of the criticism a little bit to, you know, if you're funny about it, it Yes, it does. There are some topics, particularly with the healthcare system, that regardless of how funny I am in a skit, I'm going to get a bunch of people arguing with each other about it, about Medicare for all versus socialism versus, you know, capitalism. And it's, I don't know. I mean, my, I suppose it's better especially than TikTok kind of devolves into a bunch <laughs> of mudslinging at times. <laughs> I think it's been a lot of fun for the M1s and future M1s that are out there. Our like core, our second semester 
Rush M1 year, we have a course director who's very infatuated with you. And so it's very fun to see like some of our CAPS clinical and professional skills course just being like, oh, we'll tie this into a Dr. Glockham Flecken skit or like nice. having you pop up in like an exam question. I'm sorry, promotions committee, if I'm violating any sort of <laughs> rules there. Or just, Dave, maybe we should make a Dr. Glockham Flecken distinction track to go along with I, the okay. community. I think that could be fun. But, well, see, that's one thing that I've always, yeah. and I hope, is the case is that a lot of my videos are kind of time immemorial. Like you could, you know, a med student who's just starting med school, like 10 or 15 years from now, could still find some of my, you know, skits interesting and relatable. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be the case. It sounds like new med students coming in or are still interested in some of the videos. And so hopefully, you know, it can kind of just have a life of its own after a while so that I can stop making skits after a while. I can't do this forever, you guys. And yeah, so you, can, you can lean back and just start collecting that <laughs> sweet, sweet YouTube money. <laughs> <laughs> Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. Speaking of Glock and Fleck and academics, we do have a lecture in ophthalmology on the two-week rotation here that you give. So My favorite lecture. One, but I watched it. <laughs> It was oh, I, I give a lecture? Yeah, yeah it was a... Uh, <laughs> what did I do? Oh, wow. <laughs> on when to call ophthalmology. Oh, oh yeah. Pants patients? I, I, yeah, I was talking about pants, pants patients. patients. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I gave that to the, the I think, the emergency medicine group, yeah. So, which is probably a lot of it's probably applicable to med students as well. So, oh, good. I'm glad that they're still showing that. I hope you're getting residuals for it. I mean, geez. Oh, no. <laughs> I would I jump at the chance to do things for Iowa for the people and places that have given a lot to me. So I'm happy to do stuff like this and talk to other groups. So it's great. It is a little it's a little bit odd though that you've had such an impact because it was never the goal, right? Like your comedy has always just been your hobby. You did it for yeah. you. Yeah, I, I did. I just wanted to. There was a coping mechanism that. for like the cancer stuff, and but also just because like I have a background in stand up. I just love making people laugh. I've always been kind of a class clown. So, so it's been pretty cool that like just yeah. your hobby that you're doing for your own edification could be so helpful to so many people and turn into this whole other thing. Yeah, and the pandemic certainly kind of exploded. That, that's when you know, at the height of the pandemic, when I started making videos, like that's when it just really took off in part because everybody was stuck inside and everybody was on social media, like the amount of social media engagement, like March, April, May, June of 2020 was like through the roof. It was crazy. Well, and that was May 2020. So you start making videos in April and then in yeah. May, you had your cardiac arrest. So yeah. I think that was really just a ploy for more attention. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was all clouds focused. So yeah. was, that's that's why I had my cardiac arrest. So you know. it's what the publicist <laughs> wanted and see what it sounds like. Publis, yeah, you know, they want you to do kind of strange things at times. I'm taking notes on how to grow that. <laughs> Please, nobody no. purposely have a cardiac arrest. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that's really interesting with your way of advocacy as like comedy is that. I don't know. I've noticed that like after I watch one of your videos after laughing, you know, you it you it makes you critically think about something like why is something that way? Like if you watch a video about a med student, like you said, standing behind the trash can for like six hours during a surgery, like why? You know, I think <laughs> I feel like that's a question that med students ask themselves a lot. Yeah, yeah, because when you're entering something as weird and different and strange as med school, like you've no idea what you're supposed to be doing. So you see what currently happens and you're like, okay, that's what I got to do. But you lose that step of like, why is it done this way? And I think comedy yeah. is a great way to make you rethink that. Um, and yeah. Right for material because medical school is absurd. It's all absurd. Oh yeah, it's not, there's so many strange things that happen, right? Like a lot of my earlier videos were before I started doing the characters, I was just doing basically like little scenes from med school. Like, yeah. you know, the fact that when I was on my core surgery rotation, you know, I got pulled aside. It was on vascular surgery, which was a brutal rotation. 
And I got pulled aside by the chief resident and uh, was told that I needed to uh, push the automatic door buttons earlier on the rounds. I remember that video. I remember you posting that video. <laughs> and it, that moment just stuck with me. It's like it just, just nestled into my wherever my long-term memory is. I think it's the hippocampus. I don't know. I'm an ophthalmologist. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's like like what that, that was one of those moments like, really this is the type of feedback like i'm getting here and and so i made a video about it like 10 years later where i you know it's like me like very dramatically like diving toward the icu <laughs> open door button yep and hitting it just in time so that the surgery team doesn't have to slow down as they make their way through the hospital wow so it's you know well, this is why this. Like th I mean, this is why workplace comedies are so popular. You know, yeah. Yeah. exactly uh, because it's yeah. You're right, though. Med school, uh, so much like just standing all the time, you're just like standing awkwardly in certain situations, <laughs> you know, or just waiting for your team to release you to say the magic words that you it's you know you can go home and I don't know. It's all these like really just strange things that just get passed down. It's like. Like these things have all have been happening for decades and we can, it's so funny how we can all relate to the same thing, not just in our country too. This is like worldwide. I get emails and comments from people like, oh, I guess this happens everywhere. And I look and it's like, it's someone in like Cambodia. Yeah. It's like, like, wow, like this is really like medical medicine culture and this, these personalities and the experiences of training in medicine are so universal in a lot of respects. Mariam, bring somebody on. <laughs> Hello, my name is Joe McDonald and I'm starting my clinical year and I have been noticing some parallels between some of your characters and uh, real life. And so I was just wondering if you developed any of your material for your characters while at Iowa. Oh, what a great question. Wow. Oh, <laughs> do you want to admit to? <laughs> I would I would say most of the characters come more from my med school experience at Dartmouth. The ophthalmologist I, is a pretty good TO. Yeah, maybe the ophthalmologist a little bit, but <laughs> and I'm trying to remember. I do think I remember seeing some emergency physicians kind of, you know, you know, drinking the like like guzzling Diet Coke. Diet Coke and, you know, I don't know if they were wearing bicycle helmets, but um, <laughs> you know, just being very outdoorsy. I feel like that's my favorite one because people. the ER physician is kind of my favorite one just because of the bicycle helmet. But then once, you know, once you go into, once you start ophthalmology, you really kind of leave everything else behind. So most of them, the depictions of the characters are from my med school experience. Let's have another question. Hi, I'm Olivia. I was just wondering, we get a lot of the answers about like the worst parts of our training. And I just wanted to hear from you what your favorite part of your training was. As an N1, I want to know what I have to look forward to and not just, you know, all oh. the crappy stuff that goes on. <laughs> no, that's a great, a great question. So from med school, the, so the thing I really loved about those first two years were forming the relationships with my classmates because those are like some lifelong relationships now it's with covid it's been I, are you guys are doing anything in person anymore sure, i don't sure, even know yeah. yep. are you back in person yeah, yeah and that's i felt so bad for like like what three years of you know some of your class some of your your uh, you know the other students in different classes probably you know can really relate to the fact that you know they couldn't be in person for a long time because that's that was like the you're going through this such a difficult you know academic environment and you're having to learn so much and being able to be around your friends and who are doing the same things and you're commiserating with each other and and you're having parties you're going out you're you know you're you know blowing off steam together it, that that's some of my favorite memories from med school were just those like Friday nights, Saturday nights, like hanging out with other, with your friends and fellow students. Going forward, see third year, I really, I really enjoyed third year. I just liked, I came in undifferentiated and as a med student, like I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so I just really enjoyed going through the different specialties. Now, some of them, I was kind of happy to leave and go on and do something else, but I really tried 
to keep that open mind and like, okay, let me just I'll learn as much as I can and go from here. And then if I don't like it, you know, I'll just never think about OBGYN ever again. But which is why I have to play that character. Yeah, that's right. I don't know much about that. Obviously, like fourth year was was a lot of fun and Although for me, I was like doing like cancer treatment and stuff. So it was a slightly less fun. But in the end, you know, it, there's a lot of doom and gloom when it comes to residency. And like, I'm sure a lot of people who are, you know, fourth year is mass, you're probably scared, you're nervous. And, but God, the amazing things that all of you are going to be doing, like over the next four to five to six, if you're a neurosurgeon, uh, 20 years <laughs> until you finish training. It's incredible. And you don't realize it right now, but you know, intern year is very challenging. It's incredibly difficult. You're going to be like sleep defri- deprived, you're going to be stressed, but you're also going to do fascinating things and you're going to save lives. You're going to be the most important person in someone's life and you're going to make a difference and you're going to do things you never thought were possible. And it's gonna be hard to recognize that in the moment, but when you look back on it, you're going to realize what an incredible opportunity it is to be a physician. And just you know, value that because it's something that a lot of people don't get to do. And yeah, there's gonna be really tough times, like you're all gonna make mistakes and it's gonna make you feel really shitty, but you're going to, you're going to have so many more successes. And so, and it's really hard to focus on those things because the mistakes hurt, but those successes are what's going to drive you and just keep you going throughout training. And you're just, you've all made just an awesome decision just to go into medicine and then in whatever field you go into, even neurosurgery, it's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Mariam, let's take one more. And then I think we have to let these people have their lives back. Hi, I'm a first year medical student and I have a question for both of you. What advice do you have for people who are supporting med students and what ways can we as medical students support them since our training is obviously having an effect on their lives as well? I would say similar to the, you know, the approach I take with co-survivors my first role as co-survivor was as medical student partner (laughs) because that is a big thing that you do and that you get through and just like you all feel I'm sure when you're done with med school you will feel like oh you know you're a survivor of that you did it they feel that way too and the tough part about being the partner is all the attention goes to everybody gets really excited right like family members and friends back home or whatever they get really excited by oh you're gonna be a doctor and that sounds so glamorous and it's a job that everyone understands and you know in our society is valued and so you know they get a lot of that attention and if the other person's doing something you know obscure but equally cool you know they're kind of like well hey what about what i'm doing and then The other thing is that medicine demands so much of your time and it doesn't care one bit about what else is going on in your life or who else is in your life. And so that person is on their own a lot, right? So I think similar to the co-survivor stuff, the biggest, the thing that makes the biggest difference is just to be seen and understood. You don't, you're not going to be able to fix everything. You're not, you know, you kind of just have to go through the four years and get through it and then go through the next however many years and get through that. But to know that your partner sees you and values you and even better, if the program also sees the partners and values the role they play, that can make a world of difference. And then to the partners themselves, I would say, make sure you have your own thing happening. Make sure you have your own friends, your own things. It's, you know, doubly as good if you're also friends with, you know, make friends with the other med students as well, right? Go to those parties with your med student and be a part of that, plug into it, but also have your own thing going on because the person's not going to be there most of the time. So if you're just sitting around waiting for, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever it is to come home well, you're going to be there a while. So it's nice to have something else to focus your time on. Like for us, it was nice because I was in graduate school at the same time he was in medical school. So we were both really intently studying. We were both, you know, 
really engrossed in something. And I had a close group of friends through that, you know, my cohort there, and he had a close group of friends through his cohort. And then sometimes we would hang out with each other's cohorts and and that worked really well. But I think, you know, having your own thing as a partner and then as the med student, making sure that you are remembering that they're in this also, you know, and and seeing and valuing them. The only thing I'll add to that is if you're hanging out with, if your partner is not in medicine and you're hanging out with a oh, bunch of people who are in medicine. Just like, don't talk about medicine. Yeah, it's <laughs> disgusting. We're trying to tone it down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole world of topics to discuss that have nothing to do with the Krebs cycle. And so, uh, yes, you know, you know, just I, you know, a little variety. Right? There's not much medical information in them, but it's a lot about like the dynamics, right? As a partner, that was always interesting to hear about, you know, this professor or that attending or whatever, right? And to understand the dynamics between people and between specialty, all of that was really interesting, even as the non-medical partner. But yeah, talking about whatever the curriculum is, it's like, oh, can I go home? (laughs) Well, before I let you go, Will and Kristen, where can people find out more about the podcast, uh, Knock Knock High, and your work? Yeah, it's called yeah, it's called Knock Knock High with the Glock and Fleckens. You can find all our information on our website, glockandfleckens.com. And the podcast anywhere. Podcast is everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever. Yep. And uh, yeah, so subscribe to that. And then social media, you know, I'm TikTok, YouTube, Twitter. I feel like that was the um, dumbest question that Instagram. I asked. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, <laughs> this whole- I to, we want to plug the podcast for sure. Cause that's where we're trying to build that up. So yeah, please check it out. It's if you ever wanted to you know, hear us talk for more than like two minutes at a time. So yeah, we have a Patreon too. If you want to be part of a more private community, we tried, we were adamant about having a tier that was really affordable so that people oh, in training fun. could hopefully still participate. So check that out too. See if it's something that interests you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That's our show. Will and Kristen Flannery, thanks for uh, being on the show with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Good luck to everyone. Maddie, Jacob, Hind, Zay, AJ, same to you guys. Thanks for having us. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thanks, thank Dave. you. And what kind of macular degenerate would I be if I didn't thank <laughs> you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you to uh, AJ. Thank you for producing the show this week. You're welcome. And to Mariam Mansour for wrangling the Zoom feed. Queen. And congratulations on matching. Yay! She's very spicy that she couldn't be on the show today. (laughs) The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm (laughs) I'm Dave Etler saying, don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.